we were all flourishing together in Christ, which has been our guide uh, for the last couple years of ministry, growing, deepening roots, and bearing fruit. We handed out saplings that day to remind us of our call to flourish together in Jesus Christ. Some of you have reported that your trees continue to thrive in your yards. Anybody have a tree that's thriving in their yards? Hey, that's great. Ours didn't. I don't know if that's a bad metaphor or not, but, <laughs> but it's wonderful uh, to see those signs of thriving, but more importantly, to see the signs of flourishing here in our church. So we spent the last two years unpacking that mission statement. Year one, we focused on the growing part of our mission statement. We talked about what our worship is here together on Sunday mornings. Um, We also began discussions about what it would look like to uh, renovate this space that you're sitting in here today. Year two, we focused on deepening roots last year. Uh, We launched our in-home rooted group program uh, last year and, and even read through the first five books of the Bible together, digging deeply into God's word. And now we're here in year three, and we're going to focus on the last clause of our mission statement, which is bearing fruit. We, we say that this is a place where you can bear the fruit of faith, a place involved in outreach and service opportunities to put your faith into daily action, bearing fruit at home, in our community, and in the world. That's a pretty big end of a mission statement. John 15, uh, in John's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples that it is their job to bear fruit. That's That's the end goal of what they do, is to bear fruit. And if they remain in him, if they abide with him as the source of life, they will bear much fruit. But apart from him, they have no chance of bearing fruit. Jesus wants them to know that they were made, they were created to bear fruit. Just like an apple tree that doesn't bear any apples isn't really an apple tree at all, right? If we're not bearing the fruit of the Christian faith, then we're broadcasting a brand of Christianity that is hollow and it's largely useless, which I don't think we can afford to do in our world today. When we look at the history of the Christian church, we can see sort of a roller coaster of different manifestations of this idea of of bearing fruit. When we look at the very earliest manifestations of the church, the church that those original disciples instituted, it is clear that they had absorbed Jesus' words in John chapter 15. We see a, a passionate, energetic band of Christians who were really living out their faith for the world to see because they were so convinced of the goodness and the power of Jesus in his resurrection. They were functioning in a way that they were made to function. They were truly bearing the fruit of faith, and we read about that in the book of Acts. But then Christianity spread into the world with with areas of the world with very different worldviews, very different sets and standards. And the tide over time began to turn. And a platonic sort of dualistic thinking started to infect the people of God known as the church. I like to call this infection the the sacred-secular divide. You've heard that before. It's an infection that hit its highest point in the Middle Ages of the church, when the church was overtly teaching that all work outside the church was secular, and the only really sacred and good work was done 
within the church. So the best that you could do if you weren't a priest was to work as hard as you could at your secular work so that you could give time and money to the sacred work that was happening in the church. And do you see what happens there? The cosmic, passionate, resurrection power of Jesus that we saw at the early church was was shrunk down to a small group of people singing some songs together in a nice building for an hour every weekend. But then, like I said, it's a roller coaster. 500 years ago, something that we're going to talk about a lot this year, there was a group of radical, subversive followers of Jesus who wanted to reform the church from the inside out. We call them the Reformers. And what they essentially did was they went to war against this idea of a sacred and secular divide. They would quote the Apostle Peter, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And then they would actually practice it. In time, in in that time, you have to remember that there were actual priests, by the way. Pretty radical idea. Mediators between God and the people people who had an access line to God. But these reformers were essentially saying something that was already radically biblical, is that we are all priests. We are a priesthood. You're a farmer. Yes, you are, but you're also a priest. You're a lawyer. Great, you're also a priest. You're a stay-at-home mom and a priest. You're a middle school student and a priest. Whatever you do, you are a priest Because what you do is your ministry. Ministry is kind of a a tricky word for people like Paul and I. We happen to work as pastors, so people will ask us from time to time, what's it like to be in full-time ministry? When were you called to ministry? And sometimes at my most snarky point, I want to fire back and go, well, where were you when you were called into the ministry that you're doing? Because your ministry is full-time ministry, too. All the word ministry means is service. Your ministry is your service. It's the part that you play. It's the role that you fill. It's the place where you do what you do best for the glory of God. So I don't like to refer to what I do as full-time ministry, if I can avoid it, because what does that make you who aren't in full-time ministry in a church? Part-time ministers? Volunteer ministers? Wannabe ministers? No. Ministry is service. And we are all serving. I get to serve in the church. It's a great gift. Most of you get to serve outside of the church. As a teacher, or as a salesman, or as a bus driver, or as a manager. And that is your service. And guess what? Your service matters deeply to God. Deeply to God. So we have to go to war against this sacred-secular divide because it causes us to compartmentalize God. Too many of us have a, have a God box, and then we have a work box, and we have a rest box, and we have a diet and exercise box, and an entertainment box, or a money box. And with all of these boxes, God essentially gets, gets, shut, into the, to, gets shut out of the bulk of our lives because he's in a little box. And our Christian life is confined to this hour together at church. And then when we return to the dealership or the office or the school, we forget about the fact that we are full-time ministers. We are in service to God. Our call is to bear fruit. Jesus said, 
my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. My Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. My Father is glorified when you accept your role as a priest, as someone who's been consecrated and commissioned and has work to do because God has blessed you to do it. My Father is glorified when you do your service really well to his glory. Think about it this way. You are the only person sitting here today who has your set of gifts and your connections and your unique service and your opportunity to bear fruit. No one else here has what you have and what a great opportunity it is. So we're going to spend this whole year impressing upon you not only the opportunities for you to bear fruit of faith in your life, to live into the service that God has created you for, but we're going to spend this year asking you to fight this sacred-secular divide with us because Jesus calls us, all of us, to bear fruit in all of our lives, not just when we're here, not just in one part of our lives, but in every part. There is no sacred and secular divide. It's all sacred opportunity all the time. We are the priesthood of all believers. And there's no greater joy than being a full-time minister of Jesus Christ wherever it is that you are. So we invite you to join us this year as we talk about and, and wrestle through and work through what it means to bear fruit, to be in full-time ministry together for Jesus Christ. So let's begin. And I'm going to turn it over to Paul, and he's going to tell you about how we're going to start this fall uh, talking about that and some great, easy opportunities for you to start to go to war against that sacred-secular divide. When I think of bearing fruit, biblically, I think of Christ-likeness, Christ-like character. I think of the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like conduct, looking more and more like Christ in the way we behave, Christ-like conversation, having the ability to speak as Christ spoke words of blessing and, and help and good news. And so it really starts at the inside. Christ comes and lives within, and yet he wants it to show up outside, and that's the fruit that we bear in our everyday lives 24-7. Part of that fruit is represented in a program that we have invested in called BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, -S, an acronym we're going to define over the next five weeks, looking at one letter each week, and this video will introduce it to you, so watch.
So five practices, not just sermon topics, not just Sunday morning ideas, but five practices we're going to be working on together. But maybe you notice that subtitle, an intentional evangelism initiative. Does evangelism strike you as a hard word, maybe a buzzword, maybe one you kind of throw your defenses up against? I think a lot of it is what's happened to that word, and I'd I'd like to suggest that when we use the word evangelism, that we don't think TV evangelist, that we don't think about someone who promotes Jesus aggressively, asks for a lot of money, and often behaves badly. That's not what we're talking about. Nor do I want you to think U.S. evangelical, as if it's some political power block that's trying to shape America for God. That's not what we're talking about. I also don't want you to think that evangelism is some mini-sermon you have to prepare, memorize, and then dump on some unsuspecting stranger to see if you can bring them into God's kingdom and into Christ's salvation. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about the simple fact of sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with another person. Sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. That's, that's the biblical understanding of the word evangelism. Often shows up as gospel or good news. The same idea, God spell. It's all the same family, evangel, evangelism, evangelical. It's a biblical word. It's also a historical term. It's worked its way into our formal full name as a church. We're the Evangelical Covenant Church of Hinsdale, Illinois. What does evangelical mean? It means those who have received the good news about Jesus and want to share it with others. I believe all Christians are evangelicals, whether they realize it or not. You can't be a Christian without receiving the good news about Jesus Christ. And at some point, coming to want to share that with somebody else, maybe your children, maybe a friend, maybe a relative. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian, letting Christ's fruit be born in our lives that way. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we're introduced to four lepers who are sitting together outside the city where lepers belong, not inside the city, kind of outside, but they're on the edge of the city, and the whole city, including the lepers, are surrounded by an enemy army. They're sitting there kind of checking out their, their options, and there aren't many. They're going to die one way or another. So they figure, what do we have to lose? Let's just go and surrender ourselves, deserting to the enemy camp. We've got nothing to lose. We're starving here. And so they go to the enemy camp, but the enemy has fled. They're gone. The camp is intact. It's still there. So they help themselves to the food, to the drink. They start hiding away the silver and gold. They have clothes. All of a sudden, everything they've been missing for 
really their whole lives diseased as they were, but now especially in this difficulty of the surrounding army, they, they just dive into it, loving it. And then it's like they wake up and they say to one another, wait a minute, what we're doing is wrong. This is a day of good news. We shouldn't be keeping it to ourselves. Let's go tell the others. I think in much the same way, uh, we Christians can get so excited when we actually realize what Christ has done for us. We're so excited that he has delivered us from the enemy army of sin and death. And we're so excited that now we have forgiveness and and life, and look at all these blessings, and we just dive into it and gobble it up. But then I think it dawns on us at some point, wait a minute. What I'm doing is wrong if I'm just keeping it all to myself. This is a day of good news. I need to go and share this with others. That's what evangelism is. It's just coming to recognize the good gift that God has given us as believers in Jesus Christ and sharing that with others who need to come to know the same Christ who saved them. That's what it means, like Abraham realized, to be blessed, but to also be a blessing, to receive the good news, but not hoard it, but to share it with others. That's what evangelism means. That's what being an evangelical is all about. Let's live up to our name. Let's be a blessed and blessing people. Let's take this good news for ourselves, definitely. First, for sure. But let's share it with one another. Let me pray for us. God, we bow our heads before you and ask as we work together and we all kind of want to shy away from the subject, but as we work together on these disciplines, really everyday disciplines that will just work us toward being able to share Christ with others. So I pray for each one of us in the weeks ahead that you'll help us to not just think about and talk about, but you'll help us to put into practice these disciplines. Would you allow us to be a blessing to others as much as you've blessed us? This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Want to see how much time we have for...